0: Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So as... as we prepare to hear from God's word, I invite you to bow with me in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our Rock and our Redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome back. We are in the second week of the Advent season, and this word, Advent, means coming. And so throughout the month of December, we are looking at the coming of Christ. And this week, uh, we're looking at the message that was given to Mary and the message that's been given to us. And if you're a student, I especially um, want you to pay attention to the front part of this sermon. I think you can relate. Let me begin with a question. What were you like, everyone, as a teenager? What were you like as a teenager? You might be thinking, what's a teenager? Good question. Tweenager is someone entering into the teen years. I consider teenagers basically middle schoolers, okay? I'm trying to get you up to speed on the current language. What were you like, Tricia Banks? David? Others, what were you like in middle school as a teenager? And let me share this. I was awesome. (laughs) Uh, Many of you know I'm from Central Florida, uh, Lake Wales, Florida. Not many of you have been there, surprisingly, but you're from Lake, uh, excuse me, I'm from Lake Wales, Florida. I graduated from Babson Park Elementary School. And our mascot was the Nats. What's that all about? I don't know. I'm not going to go down that road. But we were the Babson Park Nats. And I graduated. And I, along with like the five or six other elementary schools around our little town, we all descended on one middle school. Kind of cruel, isn't it? So we went from like these smaller classrooms to like 50 plus in a class. And I thought, now's my chance. So I changed my hair. Listen. I used to do my hair right down the middle. There's there's an ugly phrase for that kind of hairdo. We're not going to talk about that right now. I changed it from down the middle to the side, and I discovered hair gel. And I started this little wave in the front, and I thought, I'm awesome. But those feelings of awesomeness didn't last long. When I went to McLaughlin Middle School, which is in Polk County, which is, East Polk County is very impoverished, I, I discovered I'm a little different than others because... My mom wouldn't let me wear jeans or shorts. I had to wear khakis in a button-down shirt. <laughs> Awkward. Nonetheless, I thought, okay, I can make this work. I got the hair. Just walk chest out. And um, some other highlights of my tween years, I, I remember being in this class reading, fancy name, and 50-plus in the class was in this kind of amphitheater setting, and if you were the top reader, you got to sit on the top level in the middle and guess who ascended to the top as the top reader yours truly But that wasn't so awesome for others as they looked at me in my khaki pants and my awkward shirt But I didn't care Nonetheless, I also started taking up an instrument and this is kind of awkward as well, which is called the viola I think I was the only viola player (laughs) guy my age uh, in the string orchestra and so anyway, all that being said, I ended up as the top eagle. I went from being a gnat to an eagle. That was our mascot in McLaughlin Middle School. I ascended the ranks. I ended up the top student in my class. Uh, but my parents said, you know, we, we really want to focus on education. And they sent my brother and I to boarding school. Or my brother and me, I think it's correctly said. We, we got sent to boarding school. And here's the thing. I was surprised when I went to the Macaulay School in Chattanooga, Tennessee, that no one had heard of Lake Wales, Florida. (laughs) Surprise. But more than that, here's the truth. I entered into the reading or English class as an eighth grader, and guess what? I was the lowest in the class. Turns out I had the lowest PSAT score in that grade getting in. And I realized then, and obviously I realized before then, but I wasn't so awesome. I might have been a little awkward or just an ordinary kid. What were you like as a teenager? Were you just awesome or awkward, a little ordinary? What's beautiful about the story of Christmas as we look at it this week is God chooses to enter this type of scene, this type of life stage, this type of situation to unleash his coming glory. Putting it another way, our passage teaches that God enters the ordinary to unleash the extraordinary through the Christmas story. God enters the ordinary to unleash the extraordinary through the Christmas story. So we're going to unpack this truth and see how it applies to us even today. Point number one, God comes to an ordinary town. We read these words earlier. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And if you know anything about the Bible, or if you were alive in that day, you'd be like, he sent the angel where? Nazareth? Here's what some scholars have to say about Nazareth. Joel Green writes, Gabriel travels to Mary far away from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem to Nazareth in Galilee, insignificant, despised, and unclean. Kent Hughes has this to say, Gabriel ignored Judea, the heartland of God's work, through the centuries and came to Galilee, a land that was the subject of abiding Jewish contempt because of its mongrelized population. Even more, the angel not only bypassed Judea for Galilee, but the city of Jerusalem for the village of Nazareth. Nazareth, a shoddy, corrupt halfway stop between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon, was overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. Look, if you were a Jew, you didn't want to go to Galilee, and you definitely didn't need to stop by Nazareth. And we read about this in the early pages of uh, John's account of Jesus' coming. All these people are coming to Jesus. And uh, Philip, we read in John chapter 1, Philip goes and he finds Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You can imagine the awkward pause. Nathanael then says back to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. God comes first to this ordinary town, this no-name town. Let me ask it like this. Have you ever been to a dirty town or a dirty city? There's someone in this section over here that once recounted a story to me of how they were driving back from Myrtle Beach, and it was the middle of the night. And if any of you guys have driven to Myrtle Beach up Highway 17, it's pitch dark. You don't want to break down or run out of gas on Highway 17 Oh, now I'm seeing spouses look at each other, so this must be relatable at this point. So someone over here ran out of gas in the middle of the night on the way back from Myrtle Beach, and they later confessed to me. They said, now I know why people carry weapons. It's scary on that strip. And that's kind of the picture we have of Nazareth. This is a mongrelized pit place, according to uh, the uh, theologian Kent Hughes. You didn't want to end up In Nazareth. And yet, according to N.T. Wright, the humble setting of Jesus' birth not only reveals the nature of God's plan, it also reveals the character of God's heart. God comes to an ordinary town to unleash extraordinary love. Applying it to the here and now, I think what this means is this. No matter where you're from, this message, this Christmas story, it's for you. Point number two, God calls an ordinary girl. We read these words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth enters an ordinary town and calls an ordinary girl. Who is this Mary? Now, I forgot to say this in the first service, but I'm going to let it out now. Theologians believe that she was somewhere between the age of 12 and 15 years old when Gabriel came to her with this message. She was a young and innocent, poor and insignificant lady, young lady, betrothed or promised in marriage. Pledge to be married. Her whole life, let me just give you a snapshot, her whole life would most likely entail getting married, uh, having a few kids, and never traveling more than a few miles from Nazareth. And then she would pass on from being that no-name person in that no-name place in that no-name region. And God says, I'm coming and I'm going There. And I love these words. It says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. I said this last week do not be afraid is the most repeated command in all of Scripture. And what does that say about God for us? Blake, don't be afraid. Dee Dee, no matter what you're facing today, don't be afraid. And he extends that invitation, that command to Mary, don't be afraid. And and he says, you found favor with God. The Greek word here is charis, which means grace. You have found grace with God, unmerited favor. It's not because you're something so special. In fact, it's because you're the recipient of this special love. I'm promising to come with you and be for you. Through the birth of my son Jesus. In this pattern of God choosing someone ordinary to unleash the extraordinary is nothing new in Scripture. One pastor puts it like this We remember that the greatest king in Hebrew history, David, was chosen by God when he was just a shepherd boy. David wasn't on anyone's radar in terms of leadership. One of the greatest prophets, Elijah, likely had a significant emotional disorder, perhaps severe bipolar disorder. Moses, the great leader chosen by God to lead his people out of Egypt, was terrified to speak in public. Gideon, a man who struggled with cowardice, was chosen by God to direct the Hebrew people into a decisive war victory over an enemy nation. Abraham the man chosen to be the father of the Hebrew people, he was too old, far too old, to father anyone. And in the ancient culture where women were often seen as nothing more than property, God chose women such as Deborah, a faithful wife who was made a prophet as well as the most senior leader over the whole Hebrew nation. And Miriam and Huldah, who were prophets tasked with proclaiming the word of God to his people. We also read about Rachel, Hannah, Abigail, women who were given visions by God, visions that ultimately would shape the future of the Israelites. God chooses an ordinary town and an ordinary little girl to unleash extraordinary love. So no matter where you're from, this message touches you, it's for you. But even more so, no matter your age or your place, your gender or your race, God's favor and grace is for you. Point number three, God then unleashes extraordinary love. And we read these words, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great He will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Surprise! Mary, you're going to have a son, and he's going to save the world. A son, but I'm a virgin. It doesn't matter. You're going to have a son, and he's going to be the Savior. In him, all the promises of the Old Testament will be fulfilled. You'll be blessed so that you can bless others. His name will be Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. He'll be in the line of David. This is directly related to actually the passage we read earlier as we started the service Isaiah 9. He'll be established on the throne of David and he will have power that will know no end. He will give you peace that will be uh, forever, eternal. Yeah, surprise. What's most extraordinary about this story, the Christmas story to me is this. How far God goes to say, Wallace, I'm with you and I'm for you. Think about it. God didn't come riding on a stretch camel. He didn't come with a parade. The infinite God became an infant for us. And in doing so, turn the world on its head. In the words of Anne Voskamp, right there in the space between, or excuse me, beneath Mary's beating heart would become the beating love of God. Emmanuel, God with us. I know some of you guys are fans of Brene Brown and her writing. She has this to say about vulnerability. Vulnerability is the birthplace of connection and the path to feeling of worthiness, to the feeling of worthiness. Vulnerability is the birthplace of connection and the path to the feeling of worthiness. And in the words of Tim Keller, it's impossible to get into an intimate relationship without becoming vulnerable. And Christianity is the only major world religion saying that God has done this for us. And this is good news. Here's the point, no matter how far you feel from God, like that little girl in that little insignificant town, in that insignificant place, God came near to her, and God came near to us. No matter how far you feel from God, God has come near to you. I love this. It changes everything. We don't have to be perfect. He comes in the form of a baby to relate to us in the ultimate form of vulnerability. There's nothing you're facing today, no pain, no longing, no loss, that he can't relate to. If you're a student and you're struggling with friendships at school, God knows you and he knows that. If you're someone struggling in your marriage, you're someone struggling in your career. And God seems far off. You've gone through legal troubles. You know loss all too well. God came near for us. If you're like Mary, sometimes you don't believe this. She, she says to Gabriel, how will this be? How, how can this be? Perhaps that's your prayer. God, how... How can this distance, how can this darkness seem so real? How how can you come near? And Gabriel said to Mary, and he says to us, the Holy Spirit will come upon you for nothing will be impossible with God. Turn to him and trust him. Mary, do you believe Charlie, do you believe? Paul, do you believe? This, my friends, is not only Mary's story. This is our story. So in summary, God enters the ordinary to unleash the extraordinary through the Christmas story. So let me ask these two questions. Number one, do you know this extraordinary love in your life? Number two, do you need right now today in some way, shape or form, addiction, marriage, something, something, whatever. Do you need this extraordinary love to punch through, to break through in your life where God comes alive in you? If you fast forward many years later, we read in the book of Acts, wait for the Holy Spirit to be given to you. It's a parallel passage. God will come alive in you. This love that knows no end. Do you know this and do you need it? If so, I invite you to say the words that Mary said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word today and then the days ahead. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I rejoice in this story how you enter the ordinary to unleash the extraordinary through the Christmas story, through the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's not just what you do, but how you do it. God, I pray that you would search hearts right now in this room, and where there's loss and longing, where there's need, I pray that you would call people back to you. If you're sitting in this room right now and you need or want this extraordinary love, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus into the ordinary to unleash your extraordinary love to me. Like Mary... I turn and I trust you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.